Mark chapter 7, we are uh, at the end of that chapter, and we are looking at this passage, verses 31 through 37. 31 through 37. Would you read with me? And again, he went out, that is Jesus, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they entreated him, saying, to lay his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude by himself and put his fingers in his ears. And after spitting, he touched the t- his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more, the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. And they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Lord, we ask that you'd reveal yourself to us this morning as we study this passage of Scripture. We thank you that you are the centerpiece of this passage. Truly, Lord, you are the centerpiece of this book that we, we hold so dear, this which we count as your word. We pray that you would speak to us precisely what you desire for us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, It's interesting to me that uh, Jesus was in the region of Tyre. That's where he was last week, right? Last week, yeah, last week when we talked about um, the Syrophoenician woman and the healing of her daughter. That's the passage right above us. And, and uh, do you remember where Tyre is? It's T-Y-R-E, by the way, not T-I-R-E. Um, uh, though it is a road, <laughs> there is a road, and the rubber meets the road. We're talking about the city of Tyre. And it is on, it's, it's north of what uh, we would call Israel proper today. It's just beyond the northern boundary along the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. That's where Tyre is. Guess where Sidon is? It's north of that even further. It's north of, of Sidon is north of Tyre. Now guess where the, the Sea of Galilee is? South. South and east of that. And I'm scratching my head um, Jesus decided, the way, the way Mark records it, he says, he went out again from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, as if, it, as if Sidon was on the way. What? It's, it's kind of like going from, uh, going from Prescott to Mesa, okay? Prescott to Mesa. Only the way you get there is that you go north on I-17 to, uh, to Flagstaff and over to Holbrook and down to, uh, down to uh, where, what is that other town down there? Um, anyway, 
all the way down that, that, that road to Mesa. It's, it's not on the way. It's a real circuitous route, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, and I have to ask the question, why, why would Jesus do that? I mean, if he's, if he's headed to the Galilee region, why in the world would he take this long trip? Well, I think we see the reason for that even in the story that was related to us last week. You see, Jesus was called to the children of Israel. He was called to bring the good news first to the children of Israel. Why is that? Well, because God chose the children of Israel. They are his chosen people. And why did he choose them? He chose them to bless the entire world with his message. His message here that Jesus is bringing is indeed the gospel. But Jesus knows that that message is indeed for the entire world. It's for the Gentiles. And guess who we are? Most of us in this room would be considered Gentiles. We're not part of that, that Israeli heritage, if you will, by blood. But rather, we are outside of that. But God has made it very plain. His intention, his gospel is for everyone. And so Jesus is on this long route because of that fact. He is indeed sharing the good news with those outside of Israel. With that said, I have to say that I think there's another reason as well. Some, some people believe that this, um, this trip that Jesus was on probably took several months. It wasn't, it wasn't just last week that he was in Tyre. It probably was, it was probably several months for him to get from Tyre up through Sidon, up and around and down to the, uh, the eastern side, southeastern side of the, uh, the, Galilee, the Galilean region or the, the Sea of Galilee. What do you suppose was going on during that time? I would venture to say that a good bit of what was going on is Jesus is taking time with his disciples. He is spending valued private time with his disciples. The reason I say that is if we, if we go back a little further in the book of Mark, Jesus has fed the 5,000, right? He's been healing many people. And we know that there are, there are crowds of people that in, even as we've read previously, he needed to get away from uh, to be able to have some private time alone. There were crowds and crowds of people. As soon as, in fact, he would go from one place to another on the Sea of Galilee and the crowd would run along the shore waiting to see him again. So I have a feeling some of what's going on here is that Jesus is taking this opportunity to spend private time with his disciples. I think it's important for us to understand that private time with Jesus is a very important part of being his disciple. As we walk with him, as we seek to be his disciples, private time with Jesus needs to be a priority for us. And I have to say it's too easy 
for it to get squeezed out of our day. I don't know if you struggle with that, but it's, it's real in my life. There's lots of demands, lots of things going on. You got a schedule to keep, people to see, obligations you need to attend to. And it's real easy without being very specifically disciplined to miss that private time with the Lord. And he desires that. It's part of discipleship. Let's look at verse 32. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they entreated him to lay his hand upon him. The word brought here simply, it means to to bear up or to carry. It's kind of, it doesn't say the man was lame, but they brought him, they brought him to Jesus as, as, uh, as an expression of their, quite honestly, I think their very real compassion for this man. They brought their friend to Jesus. And he was one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. I think, I think if we take a moment and really examine this, I think it's safe to say that he probably wasn't born deaf. Why in the world can we say that? Well, he spoke with difficulty. If he had been born deaf in that day and time, it's likely that he wouldn't be speaking at all. Rather, I think perhaps his, his deafness was caused by an injury or perhaps illness. And so now we see that he speaks with difficulty. It's related to his inability to hear. Notice here in this verse as well that they implored him. They implored him. That word means to, to call to or entreat uh, with a, a, it's a, it's a sense of urgency, to invite with a sense of urgency. And again, I think we see these peoples, these friends of this man, their compassion for him, that they would seek after Jesus on his behalf. Now, Notice as well, it's curious to me, they did not ask Jesus to heal him. What does it say? They asked him to lay his hand on him. I think that that is uh, simply a, a request for blessing. Think about it. When, um, <laughs> when the Pope shows up at a place. And I know that we're not Catholic, but we, the, many in the world ex, uh, experience the Pope as a, a man of God. And so what do they do? They line up. They line up in hopes that the, the Pope might just touch them, right? And what are they looking for? Are they looking for anything specific? Maybe. But many of them are simply there looking for a blessing. And Jesus is the one who blesses, not the Pope, right? Jesus is the one who can bless. And, and so they bring this man to Jesus, and all they're asking him is, would you lay your hand on him? Just bless him. I have to stop and ask the question of myself, how often do I pray open-ended prayers? I have to say that I've been challenged in the past with the idea that 
hey, we need to pray specifically so you can tell when God has answered a prayer, right? When he's answered it in the affirmative, or maybe he even says no. If you pray specifically, you can measure it. But here we see this open-ended prayer, I, I believe, just bless him. Lord, just bless him. Whatever that means to you, just bless him. I think that uh, it's real easy for us at times to um, be so specific that we limit, we even limit our understanding of what God wants to do in a life. I'm, I'm, I'm challenged because I've been challenged in the past and I've been, those who prayed with me know that I, I tend to dial right in. Lord, would you do this? We ask of you this, Lord. But I'm challenged by, by this idea that I want the Lord to do whatever he wants and to leave it open and allow him to, to blow my mind with all of what he desires. In fact, I think if we look at this situation, what happens here is that Jesus' touch is way, way beyond blessing. Look at it. Verse 33. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with his saliva. If the high school group was in here this morning, they'd be going, ew. Oh, man. Some of you are doing that right now too, right? Why does he do that? Well, hang on just a second. Number one, Jesus takes him aside. I, I, uh, I believe that that is a, indeed a picture of um, Jesus' unique compassion for this man. Elton Trueblood says the act of taking the man away from the crowd was an example of the common courtesy of Jesus. And common courtesy is a lost art in our culture, isn't it? Perhaps Jesus noted this discomfort of the man and just chose to address him privately. And when it comes to meeting our need, humbly brought before him, Jesus does not, does not seek to humiliate us either. He did not seek to humiliate this man, but rather simply to heal. Perhaps, I would say as well, it's possible, given the, the history, the, the, the immediate history of what's going on with Jesus' ministry, it's possible that Jesus wanted to spare the possibility of being a spectacle as well. Think about it. He had been healing. He fed many people. Um, there was great clamor, and Jesus had just taken this long route away from that group of folks who recognized that. And perhaps Jesus is saying, I don't want to make a spectacle of this. His focus was the man. His focus was the man, not the proclamation of his power. Now, it's true that Jesus did many miracles in public as well. 
And quite honestly, it was very much, I believe, for the purpose of displaying his power and authority. Why? Because he was holding up the identity that he indeed is the Messiah. That's the proclamation that is made in his public works. But Jesus has taken this man aside, and it's, it's, a, it's a simple devotion to meeting the need and caring for this man, this individual. That is Jesus' focus at this point. He put his fingers in his ear, and he touched his tongue with his saliva. Some would say, well, that seems a little weird. You thought that a little bit ago, right? Yeah, it seems a little weird. Why would he do that? It's, it's really unnecessary. Well, I think, I think um, perhaps you could say it's unnecessary. I mean, couldn't Jesus just say be healed and he'd be healed? Well, absolutely he could, right? In fact, if we look at, at what happened just before this passage, what, what happened there? The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus and, 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 and pleaded with him for, for uh, healing for her daughter. And Jesus said, it's, it's done. It's done. Go home, your daughter's healed. So he could have done that with this man too. Why in the world do you think he took him aside and put his fingers in his ears and touched his tongue? Well, Stuart Briscoe says he moves to the kinds of communications with which the man will have no struggle. In other words, he'll understand completely. Fingers in the unhearing ears and spit on the uncoordinated tongue tell the man that Jesus understands his problem and intends to do something about it. The man couldn't hear. So Jesus was delivering the message that, of what he intended to do in a way that this man could understand. And he was delivering more than just healing. I can't believe I just said that. Just healing. Wow. Yeah. But he's delivering more than healing. He's touching the man. He's extending his, his ministry to this man in full measure. And, and Jesus does the same today for those who come to him in humility. He ministers to us in the ways that we can understand, delivering honestly more than, than what we even think we need. He's delivering himself. He's touching us. We come to God with our needs, our requests, and we pray. But when we do so, God is, God is interested in delivering himself to us, not just our request. Oswald Chambers writes, your father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. He quotes Jesus there. And Oswald asks this question, well, then if that's the case, if he knows what we need before we ask him, why ask? Right? 
Why ask if he already knows? Well, the idea of prayer is not in order to get answers from God. Prayer is perfect and complete oneness with him. If we pray because we want answers, we will we'll get huffed with God. The answers come every time, but not always in the way we expect. And our spiritual huff shows our refusal to identify ourselves with our Lord in prayer. We're not, we're not here to prove that God answers prayer. We are here to be living monuments of his grace. He goes on to say, think of the last thing you prayed for. Were you devoted to your desire or to God? Keep praying in order to get a perfect understanding of God himself. When a man or woman is born from above, the life of the Son of God is born in him or her. And they can either starve that life or nourish it. Prayer is the way of life, is, is the way the life of God is nourished. Let me read that again. Prayer is the way the life of God is nourished in us. Our ordinary views of prayer are not found in the New Testament. We look upon prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves. But the biblical idea of prayers is that we will get to know God himself. Let's go on. Verse 34. And looking up to heaven... With a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Again, Stuart Briscoe writes, then with even greater nonverbal eloquence. I love that. Even with greater nonverbal eloquence, Jesus sighs, not with the pity of the crowd, but with the compassion of the Christ. Jesus looked up to heaven. He acknowledged his unity with the Father. He acknowledged his unity with the Father in looking up. He did the same thing when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you remember that? The story in John chapter 11? Jesus had, had, had been away, and he's on his way to Bethany. And prior to this passage, we see that Jesus actually intentionally delays. And he finally arrives. And, and Mary and Martha say, oh, Jesus, if you'd only been here several days ago. We wouldn't be in this situation. You could have healed Lazarus. And you can, you can hear their absolute heartbreak in that. But, but look what happens here. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and the stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased said to him, uh, 
Lord, just so you know, by this time, it's going to stink. By this time, there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And here we see it again. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Just previous to that, you read, then Jesus, uh, did, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Hold that for a moment. In John chapter 17, we see the, the high priestly prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden before his uh, crucifixion. And we read there, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. He lifted up his eyes. And the glory of God is his intent. It's not so much pleading with the father, father, would you please heal this man? No, it's acknowledging his unity with the Father that the glory of God might be revealed. Again, in verse 34, he says, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh. A deep sigh. That's, that's like an audible exhale that expresses deep feeling, maybe deep relief or, or deep sadness, deep even exhaustion, a deep sigh. I have to say that these are, these are the accompaniments, if you will, of earnest prayer. God intends that we should also share in that kind of intimacy with God. Romans 8 Romans 8, beginning in verse 22. I, in fact, I'd invite you to even turn to that passage. It'll be on the screens as well, I believe. But I, I, I want you to take note of this. Romans 8, beginning in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Notice the word groans. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope is, that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what they already see? If we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, even as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he, search, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This intimacy that Jesus has with the Father as he lifts his eyes and he sighs. 
There's communication going on there between he and the Father. It's, it's intimacy. It's unity. It's, it's inaudible prayer, if you will. And the Lord desires that for us too. That we should have that kind of intimacy with the Lord. That's a part of, dare I say it, it's part of growing into maturity in our faith. In the beginning, as young believers, we, we operate even as, as uh, we would simply human to human. And we ask God for specific things. And we, we, we wait for his response. But as we grow in our faith, it's no, it, we, we move from asking things of God to seeking God himself. And in maturity, we find ourselves where, in a place where there is communion with God in such a way that we don't even need to verbalize. Silence. Silence even becomes that holy moment of communion with God. I dare say that, that as believers in our culture, it's real easy to get stuck. Stuck in immaturity. I can say this to this crowd. How many of you, seriously, how many of you would wish to stay in adolescence. And yet that's precisely where many of us are. Spiritually, we're stuck there. God desires that we would grow deeper, that we would have that intimacy with the Father, where there is even this nonverbal communication. Second half of verse 34, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Mark explains the Aramaic phrase here because, because he's, he's writing to men and women who are, for whom Aramaic is not their, their native tongue. Rather, it's, it's perhaps Greek. That's Greek to me, right? What he's saying here is this is this word is not a request, it's a command. Look at it. Be opened. It's a command. The same authority that that spoke to the wind previously in, in Mark chapter 4. Do you remember that story? Jesus is out with his disciples. They're all up in a in a tizzy because there's a storm happening and Jesus is asleep in the boat and what Lord Lord wake up please we're drowning we're coming to the end of life here together what does Jesus do he gets up and he says hush be still and what happens the sea is like glass it's a command be opened 
That very same authority that spoke to creation, that spoke creation into being. Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be an expanse between the waters. And we called it heaven. It was because God spoke it. It's that very same power that spoke creation into being is at work in this man's healing. The very same power is at work in us to say, hush, be still. When we're in turmoil and God delivers peace that passes understanding. The very same power is at work in us to say, let there be light when we're in darkness. And God delivers illumination. He delivers life. The very same power is at work in us today to say, be opened when we're imprisoned by despair or hatred or unforgiveness or, or disease. And God delivers hope and love and forgiveness and healing. The very same power of the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is at work. That's because that's who Jesus is. He is Almighty God. That's the power of his touch. That's the authority of his command. He is almighty God. Verse 35, and his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. The man didn't even hear the command. Did you notice that? He's deaf. He's deaf. He didn't even hear the command. And his ears were opened. That's because, that's because Jesus was speaking to his creation. He wasn't speaking to the man. He wasn't asking the man, uh, release your will to me. Um, let, let me. Give me your heart. Make a decision here. That's not, that's not who he was talking to. He was talking to his ears the physical creation of God Almighty, and creation had to respond. There is no option for creation. The only, it's only the human heart, the human will, the human mind that is able to say no to God. Think about it with me. The rest of creation is subject to the command of God, simply without rebuttal. But humanity is the only piece of creation that bears God's image. Genesis chapter 1. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Only humanity has the option of autonomy. Only humanity has the choice to obey or not obey God. Listen, even demons who oppose the work of God are subject to his command without question. We read that in Mark chapter 5. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed before him. This is the demoniac in the Gerasenes. 
And shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. The demons knew who Jesus was, right? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to them, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, that is, this is the demons talking. Jesus says, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. Can you hear that? My name is Legion, and we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. These demons are pleading because they know they have to obey. There is no option. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain and the demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and about 2,000 of them and they were drowned in the sea. They had no option. They had to respond in obedience to Jesus' command. Only humanity, only humanity is responsible for sin and has need of the opportunity for forgiveness. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say simply, be healed, be healed, or just declare him healed. I think it's perhaps for our benefit that he did that. How often, how often do we close our ears to things that we don't want to hear. It's a matter of our will, right? And why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, honestly, sometimes we have good reasons for that. Scripture is very clear. We should flee temptation, right? There are things we should just shut out because it's temptation. But there are other things there are other things, and I would call them bad reasons. Sometimes we close our ears because um, we have in, some intolerance for another point of view. We don't maybe want to be um, confronted with, with our own convictions. What? Yeah. Confronted by the inconsistency between our belief and our behavior. Hmm. Sometimes we close our ears because um, the discovery of new information means that now we're responsible for that information and how we, how we respond to it. Sometimes we close our ears because we're unwilling to hear anything that will challenge my point of view, my prejudice my parochial ideas. There's a fancy word. You know what it means? It means closed-minded. It means closed-minded. I think that... Um, Jesus has something to speak to us on this, about this. Proverbs 18, 
the writer says, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes to examine him. You see, there's always two sides of the story. Every time. Note the connection between hearing and speaking plainly. His ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began to speak plainly. Verse 35. The, the word impediment here is very interesting. It means to, to tie up or even to shackle as a prisoner. If we do not hear well or completely or willingly, we cannot speak plainly. Quite honestly, we'll tend to talk in circles. We will be shackled to our uninformed opinions rather than experience the freedom that is found in the full revelation of the truth. Because you know what Jesus says himself, the truth is what sets us free. If we do not hear well or completely or willingly, we cannot, we cannot command or control even our own convictions or our thoughts. Rather than, listen to this, our commitment to our convictions, however uninformed, will control us. Our commitment to our convictions, however uninformed, will control us, our thoughts, rather than the truth. To illustrate, I met with a, a gentleman several weeks ago who came to share some information with me. He felt it was important that I know this. And I already knew it, but I let him say his piece. But you know how he started? He started, now don't, don't try to convince me otherwise. I don't, don't even think that you need to come back and share another point of view with me. I just want you to know my thoughts here. Really? Yeah, really. Some people operate that way. And I have to tell you, sincerity is not the test of truth. You can be sincerely wrong, right? Yeah. And sometimes the truth is hard to hear and really difficult to digest. John 8, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever the sun does remain forever. So if the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. Hearing and discerning the truth sets us free. It unshackles us to speak plainly of the truth. And not only to speak of it, but to walk in it. Let's rush to the end here. Verse 36. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. This word proclaim is the same word that is used to describe John the Baptist, the proclamation of a preacher. That's what, that's what they're doing. It is um, true, especially of divine truth. That's, they, could not, they could not stop themselves from proclaiming it. Jesus asked the impossible 
of these people. Hey, keep this quiet, would you? <laughs> it, the same thing happened in, in Luke chapter 19, the triumphal entry. We see, we see Jesus there entering the city and the people waving their palms and crying out. And what do the, uh, what do the Pharisees do? Some of the Pharisees in the crowd say to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones themselves will cry out. <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. They're proclaiming. They can't help it. Verse 37, they were astonished he has, and saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. What does that sound like? Does it kind of sound like it's good? I think it's, it's reiterating, reiterating Genesis chapter 1, where we read the account of the creation, and after, it's interesting, if you read the text, it's, the, it's all of the odd days. <laughs> 1, 3, 5, and then 6. At the end of those days, God says, it's good. It's good. And at the very end, at the very end on the sixth day, he says, the, the scripture says, he saw all they had made and behold, it was very good. In this proclamation, he does all things well. They're recognizing Jesus as God Almighty. They're saying, this is the creator God. He does all things well. And they reiterate Isaiah chapter 35, he makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Isaiah 35 is this passage that, that speaks of Israel returning to Zion after being in exile. And he writes, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God will come, but he will save you. <laughs> then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and the lame will leap like the deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This, is, this picture is one of salvation. It's one of wholeness and restoration. It's a message of hope. And verse 37 is hope realized. He has done all things well. He makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Jesus is almighty God. He does all things well. And his provision and restoration for his creation is his pleasure. Blind eyes see, deaf ears hear, lame legs leap, mute tongues shout. And the blessing of Jesus, just the touch of his hand, is personal. It's tailor-made. Tailor-made for this man and for each one of us. The blessing of Jesus, the touch of his hand is powerful. It's God Almighty with all his authority at work. The touch of Jesus' hand, his blessing is penetrating. 
It does not allow any resistance to go unaddressed. And it's perfect. It lacks absolutely nothing. It's proclamation worthy. It's, it's the good news after all. And it's praiseworthy because God is good, period. The result of Jesus' command is the full revival of, of the senses, physical and spiritual. It's the removal of barriers. It's the restoration of hope. And it's the revealing of his identity as Messiah. And here we see in this passage that the touch of Jesus, all they asked for was that he touched the man. The touch of Jesus goes way, way beyond blessing. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that when you reach out to touch us, you do so as the almighty God. And your touch does not destroy, but rather, Lord, it brings life. It brings restoration. It brings healing. And this morning, Jesus, I don't know what the needs are here in this fellowship among these saints, but Lord, I know you know. And I ask, Jesus, that by your grace, you would be at work to touch even us. We thank you that your grace is, is not limited, that your arm is not too short, rather that, Lord, it is just the right length to teach and embrace, touch and embrace us, even now, even today. Lord, as we stand together, let's do that. Let's stand together. Lord, as we stand together, we acknowledge that you are truly almighty God. And we ask, Jesus, that you would just, would you lay your hand upon us? Would you bless us? Just because you love us. Just because your compassion is perfectly placed. We ask that in the name of Jesus, the almighty God.